Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. That was Veronica Falls kicking off the show with Tell Me. And standing by to start the show is Dr. Estelle Toby Goldstein. She's known as the Renegade Doctor. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for calling in. You're very welcome. And when My I, pleasure. When I read that we have uh, similar uh, paths, that I lived in Brookline, and you are from the same area, and I went to BU, that just made me want to have you on even more. <laughs> 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 so tell me about your, tell me about your background. Um, health-wise, I know you haven't always been so healthy. No, as a matter of fact, I was not terribly healthy at all when I was oh, about 50 and admitted to the hospital, which turned out to be a uh, diabetic coma. Oh, my and I Yes. I had no idea that I was diabetic. I didn't make myself get as many blood tests as I asked my patients to get. And... Uh, Next thing I knew, I was just starting to wake up in intensive care, trying to figure out what was going on with me. Oh, my gosh. That is unbelievable. So, uh, unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Yeah. Uh, some people have diabetes or its equivalent diagnosed in routine health care, but a lot of people still don't do that. So I woke up enough to look at the intravenous bag going into my arm, and it was more insulin than would be present in my estimation in a normal human body. And the nurse told me, you're the most insulin-sensitive person I've ever seen. Pardon me, insulin-resistant is what I'm trying to say. And that's why you need a lot. (laughs) And I remember coming out of the coma thinking, oh, my God, my body is resistant to something, and they're giving me more of that? Yeah, but it's... That doesn't make any sense. Not at all. Not at all. And that's when I fell asleep again. (laughs) (laughs) How did you decide that, you know, some people sit back and they say, well, the doctors know what they're doing. You know, I'm just going to have faith in them. They know with these medications. How did you decide, you know what, I'm going to take charge of my own health? Well, it was a slow decision. There were about three hospitalizations because these people were highly touted academic-type doctors. Part of it was things that I learned in the beginning of medical school. I had a wonderful education uh, in France at a national medical school, and after they told me not to kill people, (laughs) they told me that science was changing so quickly that I had a lifetime job of following science and learning how to apply it to patient care. And being a doctor is something sacred and wonderful, so I had to keep learning. Mm -hmm. But it took about three hospitalizations with standard medications and treatment for diabetes to say, this is not going the way that it ought to be going. I was given insulin. I got fatter and fatter and fatter on insulin when I was told that my problem was associated with obesity. Right. And that that made no sense to me. Sure. And I felt tired. I felt sluggish. And I want to be everything for my patients, let alone me. Of course. So... 
So I started looking at how things were going, and I started looking around me, and it was made very clear to me that I had to follow a diabetic diet. Well, that certainly wasn't helping me any because I was told I had to eat enough sugar to need medications I was given, which didn't make any sense because I had too much blood sugar. And here I was, obese, and I was hearing things from my patients about obesity that I started worrying about. Basically, I had some wonderful patients who came to America from other countries, and my own grandmother, of blessed memory, who came to America from the Ukraine mm-hmm. and was quite healthy, an agricultural worker. Uh, when she came to America, all of a sudden got obese and diabetic. Hmm. And I heard people who came to America from Mexico were doing this. Yes. Uh, people would tell me lovely stories about eating mangoes off the street and the main street. But yes. when they came to America, they got obese and diabetic and really didn't have a way to fight it. Sure. So I started raising the question, is there something wrong with the American food supply that people who come here from elsewhere are getting overweight and diabetic? Well, I would say absolutely. I mean, I... I know this. I've done my homework, but let me hear your perspective. Well, I started looking at and asking my patients, and it seemed that the big difference was eating processed foods when they came to America. Right. They weren't eating natural foods off the street. Everything had been processed. Mm-hmm. And I started wondering what would happen if I stopped eating processed foods And if I started eating in the way my grandmother had, she had told me in great detail about how she had eaten in Europe. And this was something that involved simple, very simple whole foods, unprocessed, that I could easily replicate. Yes. So I started doing that, and within a few days, literally days, I started losing weight. Not surprising. Um, I want to interject something. Years ago, I watched a film called Forks Over Knives, and I remember seeing this family. I believe it was in this film. Um, They were from Mexico, and they came here, and they were struggling financially. And, you know, they would go to a fast food restaurant for most of their meals, and it was very inexpensive, obviously. And I try to teach my kids that just because it's inexpensive doesn't mean it's good for you. And before you knew it, they had diabetes. So... You know, it's just, it was the worst food you could put in your body. Absolutely, and I remember how shocked I was when I found out that major fast food chains had uh, hamburger buns that were fortified with sugar. Oh, yes. Because someone might not taste the sugar, but there is a well-known addiction to sweet taste. Yes. which has driven people in all sorts of horrible directions. There have been many good scientists, many of them vilified, uh, since earlier in the century who have written books about sugar being bad for people. But somehow or other, this has not passed into the mainstream. And now it is quite clear what I was doing when I eliminated processed foods was lowering carbohydrates, 
because of research that was done back with World War II conscientious objectors and subsequently for major universities, it was alleged that there was an association between eating fat and having high fats in your blood and becoming fat. Mm -hmm. But since then, uh, actually, some of the original people who did those original studies have gone back and looked at the data, and it simply is not so. Mm. It's very clear now that eating carbohydrates, and particularly refined carbohydrates, are what is driving obesity, driving the American epidemic of diabetes, obesity, uh, and secondary to that, heart disease, perhaps some cancer. What is incredible to me is that doctors, including me, before I realized what was going on, are not systematically recommending this to people. Even if people try it, it's uh, sometimes confusing or difficult. And the nature of prescription medications is such that it's not always safe to try it on your own. This is something that has to be done carefully, Yes. precisely because there are so many meds like what I was on that actually seem to require people to have some carbohydrates so their blood sugar doesn't get too low. But this is something that has to happen. This is something that people need to know about. And this has become a big part of my mission on this earth at this point. That's fantastic, because you and I had spoken uh, days earlier how, you know, you can't just ignore what you're putting in your body and then throw a drug at it, because then that medication could have ramifications. And then you're taking another medication for the side effects of the first drug. And that is happening a great deal in psychiatry right now because it is hard to differentiate in the individual Mm -hmm. between the secondary effects of the drug and what may be an independent symptom. So uh, my background and my formal training in medicine, I've been through neurosurgery, neurology, and psychiatry, and multiple practice settings. I'm a brain lover. I love human brains. I want them all to work well. (laughs) Uh, But in psychiatry, I was invited to continue into academic medicine and drug research. And I was actually involved in developing, uh, doing clinical trials, and presenting to the public and to the FDA the data that was making psychiatric drugs prove useful, and I lived believing that the next drug would solve the problem, and if that didn't, the drug after that. So I was, a, and still am, a highly credentialed pharmacologist. I am absolutely compulsively worried about drug-drug interactions and run this on a computer for every patient that I see to see if that's part of the problem. And I raise the question, can molecules, chemical substances that have not been patented and are not made by drug companies have good effects on humans. Mm -hmm. Now, I couldn't even raise this question until I was no longer working for a university. 
and I was out here in private practice. And the answer was a resounding yes. And that's how I got involved in a large uh, international study with people from the British Empire, uh, excellent investigators in Canada and New Zealand who are still very much working. And I found that natural substances, not just vitamins you buy in, in the drugstore or anything like that, Okay. But natural substances, um, in this particular case that had been treated to pass the blood-brain barrier, were very effective in that particular study on bipolar illness, um, in other studies on anxiety, depression, even autism. Interesting. So I started using this on people in private practice, and they started getting better. Uh and just like, as far as I know, all of the investigators who've been involved with this sort of thing, I started taking more vitamins. Sure. I mean, this was harmless enough I could take it myself. So let me, excuse me one second. So what you're saying is you went the direction of natural supplements instead of traditional medicine for, let's say, people with bipolar conditions. Uh, the answer is yes and no, and here's the reason. Okay. Not all of my patients wanted to make that decision with me. Some patients can't afford these, even though I personally don't think they're that expensive. A lot of people want things that have been, uh, they're going to be paid for by insurance. I mean, there are levels of institutional factors in here. Mm -hmm. So not everyone wants it, and if people are doing fine on what they have, well, you know, God bless you. I'm right. here to help people do fine. Yes. Uh, so some people like that. Some people want to get off what they're on. I mean, when I started being a psychiatrist, I thought the average depression would last eight or ten months. And now I see people who are left on psychiatric medications for years and years and years and often told that they're going to need them for life. Oh. Uh, which makes little sense to me in terms of the neurophysiology. But, you know, God bless you if you're happy with no side effects. And the other thing is getting off psychiatric medications is not always simple, even when there are effective natural substances that are going to be substituted. Right. So... Uh, Sometimes people in, in general practice who try to do that, if you're getting off an antidepressant, can feel depressed, right. but it can really be the withdrawal from the antidepressant yes. and not necessarily a new de depression. I so I've you. literally had to invent protocols. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. You have to be a detective. You really do. Uh, well, for me, I've had to be a doctor to take care of myself with all that I've been through. Right. Right. So what are some, I mean, I was going to say, what are some interesting insights you've had with, you know, you see a patient that's similar to what you went through. Mm -hmm. So what comes to mind when you first see them? Do you first try to think, okay, what's going on emotionally? Uh, I use an ancient model for psychiatry proposed back in the 50s by Engel of New York, Biological, psychological, social. Mm -hmm. First question, what is going on with the patient biologically and chemically? 
second question, what's going on psychologically? And the third question is, what is their social needs? Now, biologically, people can have a lot of different medical illnesses and prevent as psychiatric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many years ago, I saw uh, what I believe to be the first person in the state of Kansas who was diagnosed with HIV and AIDS uh, presented as depressed. Mm -hmm. And obviously, antidepressants were not what was necessary to give the best possible treatment. Um, Sometimes people who are diabetic and have a blood sugar, I have found blood sugars as much as four times normal just by doing systematic blood work on someone who shows up and says they're diabetic. So the first question I always ask is, is this a medical illness? This is where I came in. I started as a as a regular general doctor first, as mm-hmm. all doctors learn to be first. Yes. So that's the first thing I get out of the way to figure out. Then I ask where they're at psychologically. Um, in earlier studies, it's been shown that about 70% of all depressed people have a specific event in their lives that made them depressed. Uh, One psychiatric diagnosis, which I find underdiagnosed, is post-traumatic stress disorder. People are traumatized by all sorts of things. It's not just men who go to war, although I'm a veteran myself and have treated them, too. Next, I look at socially. Mm -hmm. The people they work with, the people in their families are crucial. A lot of people, uh, major life satisfaction, uh, early studies going back to the 1920s, study in the Harvard men. The major life satisfaction is not from what you do for a living, it's from who you're married to. Yes, sure. So I have to look at all of these to take complete care of a patient. Then we can move on to uh, psychiatric medication alternatives. Uh, Some people just say, give me the high test. I want the real meds. And I'm not going to fight with them, but they're going to get a very detailed description from me of the risks before they sign an informed consent. Good, good. Very detailed. And in some cases, I will just tell people, death is my unfavorite side effect. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's, you know, people are not so apt to jump to change. They just so stuck in routines and, and people are very addicted to whether it's food or medication or any kind of behavior. It's very hard to break. Absolutely. And one of my recent employments was at an addiction center. And of course, the medical detoxification and medication of underlying psychiatric uh, issues, and I treated with a lot of natural substances too, are important. But the bottom line is that the best predictor and the best treatment for addiction is dealing with the ability to delay gratification. People are used to putting sugar in their mouths or horrible drugs in their veins, and they feel better fast. If people can learn to wait and feel better a little bit later, life can become rewarding and important. 
And sometimes the first step in that is making sure people have something in life that they love enough and care enough about that is a major, major purpose. And then they're less likely to have addictions to food or drugs or anything else. I told all my addicted patients a story, and they said it sometimes changed them. Mm -hmm. Very simple one. When I was at university, I was invited to a party where they sold chicken, pardon, not they sold, they served, Mm -hmm. chicken in hashish sauce. What is that? Which, of course, is a concentrated form of marijuana. And everyone was so excited about knowing what it tastes like. And I was not old enough to drive yet. Phone my mother, get me out of this party now. And the reason was that if I were present when such things were being done, that would have been a felony. I never would have been able to practice medicine. Sure. And I dearly, dearly love being a doctor. That's wonderful. Yes. What a story. No, you continue. What I was going to say is that... One of the things I find I found effective because I used to be addicted to junk food and I had some ba- really bad habits growing up is to do something else that's a distraction from eating, whether it's some kind of hobby, maybe exercise, painting, something to get you out of that. Absolutely true. Uh, I've had some people who substitute another compulsive behavior. Uh, one of my most favorite harmless ones was compulsive crocheting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I could just imagine somebody staying up all night long knitting. And I'm sure it's true, right? Uh, well, I think she did fall asleep. Oh, okay. But uh, she did crocheting and things if she felt uh, cravings for food, and she did just fine. That's great. That is great. Uh, but I want people to have overlying purpose, meaning in life, things that make them happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's perfectly licit to do what you said. Start with whatever you can do to stop thinking about it. Right. But there, uh, depending on the cravings and when they come for fast food, I would go back to my model, biological, psychological, social. Mm-hmm. Is there something wrong with your blood sugar being too low that you uh, would be craving things sweet? Is there a medical explanation Is there a psychological explanation? Uh, Were you rewarded with sweets as a child, or did you go to sweets to feel better after Mm -hmm. some great disappointment in life? And then social. Um, If all your friends are going to fast food with you, then you need to find another way to enjoy your friends. Right. No, I can agree. I mean, I grew up where sugar was definitely something that was a pacifier, so I get it. Now tell me, you um, you're all you're on social media. So if people want to find out more about you, you have a great blog, BetterBrainsOnline.com. Could you tell me about that? Well, uh, it's a mixture between personal things, where I've been and what I've done, and the kinds of issues that I see with my patients, and things that are in the news because. Even though some people call me an alternative doctor, I don't see myself that way. There is one right and true medicine that is a function of scientific research, which is a really sincere attempt by good folks to approach truth. 
So I put it together and try to tell it like it is. For instance, a recent article was about cupping, and cupping, which is many thousands, thousands, hundreds of years old, is recently fashionable with celebrities, but it has certain advantages, risks. Advantages are subjective, risks, some forms involve cutting the skin, and there is not enough proof to meet my scientific standards of being helpful. So I tell patients about this because it's in the news. I also tell patients about what, where I've been, what I've read. Um, I am compulsive about finding the latest scientific research and seeing how that might relate to how patients live. I mean, the bottom line is that we have too much space in medicine between scientific knowledge and daily practice. And I'm trying awfully hard to close that. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's in the Olympics, by the way. Michael Phelps. He had all those oh, yes. Big, you know, that's, that's why I reported on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there are certainly other things that can be done for sore muscles that are very effective, biological, psychological, and social things. So that's something I've been blogging, I guess, five or seven years or so. And I love to be on social media. And um, that's a big part of who I am and who I've become and how I relate to folks. But I do have uh, some projects I'm starting to work on right now. Well, we have to wrap up in a minute, but you just want to mention those projects and then where people can find you? Absolutely. I want to start free meetup groups for obesity. I've been there. I know what it feels like. I love my overweight and obese patients best. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm looking for a place uh, to hold meetup groups on this. Uh, People can contact me. As you said, Better Brains Online Mm -hmm. uh, or on Facebook, Uh Dearly love to hear with and interact with the folks. I am starting, uh, I will be starting a practice in Orange County. I'm still looking at exact ways to do that. I am available for public speaking. I love talking, in case you can't tell. (laughs) Um, I am starting a social network to reinforce kindness as the best prevention of mental illness. I am still shocked by what people can do to each other. Yes. And I want people to find happiness and and do better through kindness, which we will reinforce through that social network. Fantastic. Uh, right now, focusing mostly on obesity groups, they will be totally free of charge. I will give everyone a free copy of my book. They will be ongoing support groups. Now, they're not practice of medicine. I can't be everyone's doctor. Okay. but. I can here tell everyone ways that scientifically work to deal with this. And somehow or other, most things get integrated with my hobby. I love doing improvisational comedy, have occasionally been a stand-up, and I want people to have fun. That's fantastic. Wow, you do it all. I do as much as I can. I think it's I love life very much. I have to wrap up, but Dr. Estelle, I, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I want to thank you so much. Maybe you'll come on, back on the show sometime. 
Oh, that would be a delight. I love talking to people. Wonderful. Have a great day, and I will be in touch with you. I look forward to that with great pleasure. Okay, be well. Bye-bye. We were talking with Dr. Estelle Toby Goldstein. She's known as the Renegade Doctor. If you missed any part of the show, you want to find out how to reach her, uh, all the info is up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to be back with uh, an author. This is a really interesting cookbook. It's called Rice Craft by Sonoko Sakai. Her info is up on my blog as well. You're listening to Get the Funk Out right here on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.